Hello listeners of the Medical Education Podcast. We are Jan-Willem Greipma and Marianne Mack van der Vossen, and we will be reading our paper, Medical Student Engagement in Small Group Active Learning, a Stimulated Recall Study. We are the first and second author of this paper, and our co-authors in the study were Rashmi Kusurkar, Martijn Meter, and Anne de la Croix. We are affiliated with the Amsterdam University Medical Center and the Vrije Universiteit Amsterdam. And we will now start with the abstract. Marianne, would you like to start? Sure. Thank you, Jan-Willem. Yeah, the abstract. As a background, active learning relies on students' engagement with teachers, study materials and or each other. Although medical education has adopted active learning as a core component of medical training, Teachers have difficulties recognizing when and why their students engage or disengage and how to teach in ways that optimize engagement. With a better understanding of the dynamics of student engagement in small group active learning settings, teachers could be facilitated in effectively engaging their students. Methods. We conducted a video stimulated recall study to explore medical students' engagement during small group learning activities. We recorded one teaching session of two different groups and selected critical moments of apparent engagement or disengagement. These moments served as prompts for the 15 individual semi-structured interviews we held. Interview data were analyzed using template analysis, template analysis style of thematic analysis. To guide the analysis, we used a framework that describes student engagement as a dynamic and multidimensional concept consisting of behavioral, cognitive and emotional components. The results. Our analysis uncovered three main findings. Firstly, in-class student engagement followed a spiral-like pattern. Once students were engaged or disengaged on one dimension, other dimensions were likely to follow suit. Secondly, students' willingness to engage in class was decided before class depending on their perception of a number of personal, social and educational antecedents of engagement. Thirdly, distinguishing engagement from disengagement appeared to be difficult for teachers because the intention behind student behavior was not always identifiable. Discussion. This study adds to the literature by eliminating the dynamic process of student engagement and explaining the difficulty of recognizing and influencing this process in practice. Based on the importance of discerning the intentions behind student behavior, we advise teachers to use their observations of students' engagement or disengagement to initiate interaction with their students with open and inviting prompts. This can help teachers to engage or re-engage students in their classrooms. So now you heard uh, the abstract and we will uh, read the full paper to you. Jan Willem starts with the introduction of this paper. Yes, thank you, Mariana. Introduction. Student engagement is recognized as an essential yet difficult to achieve aspect of small group active learning in medical training. Students who engage more learn more. However, it can be difficult for teachers to recognize when and why their students engage or disengage in their classroom and to interact with students in ways that optimize engagement. If we could gain more insight into that Dynamics of student engagement in small group learning activities, teachers could be facilitated in effectively engaging their students in these settings. In health professions education, many schools have reformed their teaching and learning approaches to support active learning. Active learning requires students to become actively involved in the learning process. 
although not definitively or unequivocally, reviews generally support the effectiveness of active learning in various health professions, education curricula, like problem-based learning, case-based learning, and team-based learning. One of the reasons why act, uh, active learning is effective is student engagement. Schools using active learning need to create settings in which students can engage with teachers, peers, and study content to construct their own knowledge. Teachers play an important role in stimulating the engagement of their students. They can motivate their students for engagement, monitor and guide the learning process, and initiate reflection on the value of engagement. Students report, however, that teachers may lack the knowledge, skills, and attitudes to do this effectively. Teachers, at the same time, may attribute a lack of students' engagement to student characteristics like low motivation, preparation, ability, confidence, or interest. For teachers to be effective in stimulating engagement, they need to understand what engagement really is and how it can be observed in practice. As active learning often requires students to voice their thoughts and collaboratively try to find answers, verbal participation is understood as a good indicator of engagement. The amount of verbal participation can sometimes count towards the grade of a course or even be part of professional behavior assessments. The absence of verbal participation or silence is consequently perceived as a sign of disengagement. However, silence can be a sign of engagement. For example, when students think quietly about a question, analyze a problem or carefully listen to others. Likewise, student use of electronic devices, for example, smartphones or laptops, in the classroom is easily understood as a sign of disengagement. However, electronic device use can be a sign of engagement, for example, when students look up information or save information for later use. Therefore, we need to expand our understanding of student engagement so that teachers can better recognize when and why students engage or disengage in their classrooms and use that information to optimize the interaction with their students. Fredericks, Blumenfeld and Paris have described a framework that may help to expand our understanding of student engagement in medical education. They propose that student engagement is a multidimensional concept that includes behavioral, cognitive, and emotional components. Behavioral engagement describes the learning-related conduct of students. It is concerned with the activities that students participate in. For example, verbal participation in class, but also completing homework and complying with the rules of a class. Cognitive engagement describes the willingness and effort that students put into learning the content of a course. It is concerned with the self-regulatory learning strategies like paying attention in class and use of metacognitive skills like planning, monitoring and evaluating study approaches. Emotional engagement describes the feelings that students have towards study content, teachers and peers. It is concerned with affective reactions like interest in the content and the sense of belonging. Likewise, Fredericks and colleagues also describe behavioral disengagement for example, being late or disturbing other students, cognitive disengagement, for example, redefining the parameters for assignments to make it easier or being distracted from the learning process, and emotional disengagement, for example, boredom or feelings of loneliness. In other words, student engagement is how students behave, think and feel. In this study, we will research three currently unknown aspects of student engagement framework to achieve our aim of one, better recognizing when and why students engage or disengage in small group active learning settings, and two, positively influencing this process. First, according to the framework, the three dimensions of, of engagement are dynamically interrelated within an individual. However, it has not yet been described how this relation can be identified or observed in practice. Second, in-class student engagement results from a variety of personal, social, and educational antecedents, that is, factors that influence engagement. However, it is unknown how these antecedents jointly influence the engagement in the classroom. Third, the framework describes engagement as malleable. However, the framework does not provide an explanation for the difficulty that teachers experience in engaging their students. Therefore, we thought to answer the following research questions. 
One, how do the three dimensions of student engagement interrelate in a classroom setting? Two, how do antecedents of student engagement influence student engagement in class? Three, how can the multidimensional view of student engagement help us to understand why it can be difficult for teachers to engage their students? I'm now going to read the methods section to you. The study design. Given the nature of the research questions, we needed data on how engagement occurs in real time and in a natural setting. Therefore, we conducted a video stimulated recall study to research medical students engagement in a small group active learning setting. Video stimulated recall enhances one to one on one interviews with video recordings of behavior to stimulate participants recall and reflection on critical moments. The video recordings adds depth to the interviews by allowing participants to relive the events. The research team and reflexivity. The authors were all educational researchers, most working within the medical curriculum of Vrije Universiteit Amsterdam. The interviews were conducted by experienced faculty developers, Jan-Willem Greitma and Anne de la Croix and colleagues from the research and education team. Students and interviewers did not know each other before the interview. Students were informed that neither their tutors nor anyone else from the medical program would receive any information about their participation in the interviews. Marianne Mack was the coordinator of the educational theme professional behavior at the time of the interviews and as such could be known by the students. She therefore did not participate in the interviews, but only read the anonymized transcripts. All authors were convinced of the value of student engagement in the medical curriculum. For this study, we adopted a social constructivist epistemological stance. We sought to understand the meaning that participants gave to their learning experiences and used those experiences to to gain insight into student engagement. We took an active role in making sense of the data in the light of our research aims. Participants and setting. We invited study groups, not single students, to participate in this study as we were interested in student engagement in small group learning activities. By interviewing students from one group, we were able to explore how differences between students' perceptions in the same environment influenced their engagement. Study groups in the bachelor phase of the Faculty of Medicine Vrije Universiteit Amsterdam consist of a max of 12 students who meet twice per week for two hours and they employ a case-based collaborative learning approach. Students stay in the same study group and are guided by the same tutor for the duration of a semester. During the first meeting of the week, students brainstorm about patient cases and associated assignments. After the meeting, they finish the assignments in subgroups and prepare to present their findings at the second meeting of the week. The students assume the different roles of chair, feedback provider, presenter and note keeper in rotation. Tutors observe the process and students' individual, individual contributions and act only if needed. Tutors also evaluate the professional behavior of their students. We decided to recruit second year study groups as they have experience with the design and expectations of study groups, can compare across multiple study groups of which they were a member, and can reflect on the approaches of multiple tutors. The procedure. We approached study groups through their tutors. Students could object or agree to the video recording, and students could object or agree to the interview. 
we only included a study group if all students in that group agreed to the video recording. Students who additionally agreed to the subsequent interviews were scheduled for an interview within one week after recorded meeting. Interviews took place in a classroom on the university campus. When a study group agreed to the video recording, we recorded one of their meetings in full. From that recording, we selected moments of students showing either signs of participation or non-participation in the learning process. For instance, asking or answering a question, staring out of the window, and students having a private conversation between themselves. We recorded the meetings in June 2019. So that was before the COVID-19 pandemic and in a face-to-face -face situation. For each student, at least one moment of participation and non-participation was selected. In line with stimulated recall research recommendations, we watched the selected moments with the students in individual individual interviews as soon as possible, but no later than one week after the meeting. The moments we selected were directly related to the research questions, that is, showing observable signs of participation or non-participation to stimulate best the student's recall of that specific moment of the meeting. We chose to do individual interviews after recording a group meeting, as individual interviews are better suited to gain an in-depth understanding of an individual student's perspective, while creating a safe space for the student for reflective on his or her behavior. The interviews were semi-structured in nature and guided by a list of questions. We asked open-ended questions to stimulate recall of the student's behavior, thoughts, and feelings at that time. Students were also invited to select a certain moment of the meeting to review during the interview and offer any other thoughts about the meeting and their behavior in it, or their engagement in general. All interviews were audio tapes, pseudonymized and transcribed for analysis. Analyses. We analyzed the transcripts using the template analysis style of thematic analysis, and we followed recommended procedures. Atlas TI was used to aid the data analysis. Analysis was done in three steps. Step one, familiarizing ourselves with the data. In this first step of the analysis, researchers Jan Willem Grijpma, Marianne Mak and Anna de la Croix familiarized themselves with the data by reading two transcripts and carrying out, carrying out inductive preliminary coding. Step two, creating, revising, and applying coding templates. Based on a discussion among the three coders, we agreed that Frederick's, Blumenfeld and Paris student engagement framework seemed appropriate to guide further coding of the data. We used the data from step one, as well as the framework to create a tentative coding template. The framework was used, thus used as a sensitizing concept. Three transcripts were coded with this template by Jan Willem Grijpma and Marianne Mack. Using data from the interviews, we expanded and clarified the template based on discussions in the author team. We also formulated explanatory descriptions of coding categories. This expanded template was used for two more transcripts to establish intercoder agreements. Table one in the paper shows the finalized coding template, which ultimately was the result of a combination of deductive and inductive strategies. 
In the last step of the coding process, Jan-Willem and Marianne divided all transcripts and applied the final template. Throughout the analysis, Jan-Willem and Marianne discussed and resolved questions about the transcriptions, uncertainties about coding and potential text fragments not fitting the template. Anne de la Croix advised them when necessary to resolve a question or uncertainty. Step three, theme development. Themes were collaboratively constructed, quote, through analyzing, combining, comparing, and even gra graphically mapping how codes relate to one another, unquote. Authors Marianne Mack, Jan-Willem Grijpma, and Anne de la Croix held multiple discussions to evaluate the fit and support of each constructed theme in the data. Finally, the full author team reviewed the themes to evaluate the degree to which the research questions were answered. We reached theoretical sufficiency after including two study groups and conducting 15 interviews. Data from the last interviews did not require modifications of the identified categories. Furthermore, all authors agreed the sample was adequate and appropriate and the data were rich enough to answer our research questions. Ethical aspects. The Ethical Review Board of the Netherlands Association for Medical Education approved the study. Moving on to the results section of the paper. Three study groups were invited to participate. Two study groups agreed and 15 individual interviews were conducted. Four students agreed to the video recording, but declined an interview. We will first report on the relationship between the dimensions of engagement, which was the first research question, then on the influence of antecedents on in-class student engagement, which was the second research question, and finally on the difficulty for tutors in engaging students, which was the third research question. First research question, relationships between dimensions of engagement. Spirals of engagement. Students reported to engage and disengage multiple times during a meeting. Students engage for a variety of reasons, mainly out of interest for a topic or having prior knowledge that could add to a discussion. Students also tended to engage when their tutors or peers demanded it. Interestingly, we identified a pattern in the interviews that once a student engaged on one dimension, other dimensions were likely to follow. In other words, engagement seemed to build upon itself, creating a spiral-like pattern of engagement. The following quote illustrates this finding. The interviewer and students are watching a part of the video recording in which the student was asked to read a patient case aloud and answer a question about it. The interviewer asked, how do you feel about being asked? To answer that question. And the student answered, I do not mind that. I notice I'm touching my face a lot. When I'm thinking about something, like at an exam, I always touch my hair and I look down. But apparently, I also do it when I am thinking in the group. The interviewer says, So you were really thinking here? Student answers, Yes, I was really thinking here. And of course, when someone else says something, then I'm listening and thinking, yeah, that's true. Interviewer, how did you feel about other people also answering here while you were still thinking? And the student says, I like that, because if you do not know the answer and nobody says anything, we would not get anywhere. You would say, I don't know. And then someone else would get a turn. Um, someone else would say something eventually. Interviewer, so you are okay with people jumping in when they do know? Student, yes. Otherwise, I would like a, f I would look like a fool for creating a silence, wouldn't I? In this quote, a prompt for verbal participation 
namely reading the patient case out loud, which is behavioral engagement, started a cognitive process in which the student would think about the question and the answers from his peers, cognitive engagement, and elicited positive feelings about the group, helping him and avoiding negative feelings about himself, which is emotional engagement. In another interview, the student reported how she had strong feelings about a certain topic, which is emotional engagement, and how this led her to be more verbally active during the case discussion, which is behavioral engagement, and also more attentive to hear others' point of view, which is cognitive engagement. Other interviews demonstrated the same spiral-like pattern of engagement. We did not identify a certain order in these spirals, and they could start from any dimension. The opposite, a spiral-like pattern of disengagement, was also identified in the interviews. Students who reported to disengage on one dimension reported to consequently disengage on the other dimensions as well. Thus, disengagement also seemed to build upon itself. The next quote illustrates this finding. Students, I do not like study group meetings. I would rather study on my own. That would be a more effective use of my study time. So I only go to study group meetings because they are mandatory. Interviewer, that's all? No other purpose for you to be there? And the student says, no, there's not. I do not learn much from the meetings because they are not going to my desired pace. Collaborating like this doesn't work for me. It's too slow. There's too much distraction in a large group. Also, all the questions are based on the lectures and they assume you go there. But if you have not gone, you can automatically not answer the questions properly. So, yeah, then it's just brainstorming with the rest of the group. But then I do not have much to contrib contribute. Interviewer, is there anything the tutor could do to help you con contribute to or to partake more actively? Student, no, I don't think so. In this quote, the student described how his dislike of the study group meetings resulted in merely being present at the meetings because he had to, and not out of a motivation for learning. Finally, because of his emotional and cognitive disengagement, he also disengaged behaviorally. Second research question, influence of antecedents of engagement, willingness to engage. Students reported how their engagement varied across meetings. They indicated a number of factors that influenced whether they would be more or less likely to engage during a meeting. Each of these factors could have a stimulating or limiting effect on their engagement. However, from the interviews, we came to understand that the combination of these factors jointly influences how willing to engage a student will be during a meeting. The following quote gives a clear insight into how before class factors jointly influence the student's willingness to engage. Student, a large part of the study group is focusing on the questions and answers because the questions and answers will be part of the exam. And in my opinion, passing the exam is not the most important. The most important thing to me is to be able to apply the knowledge you have. And that is what you could see in the video recording. What I'm trying to do is to say something controversial so that the others actually start to think. On the one hand, I'm trying to stimulate them to think as outside the box. But on the other hand, I try to motivate them to say what they think. Because every now and then I have a different opinion than they have. And when you give that opinion and they defend theirs, only then do you start thinking. Because you can simply say, no, it's not like that. But I will not accept that. I will ask them. Why not? And when they start explaining, then I can start to understand it. In this quote, the student described how other students in his study group would be satisfied when they reached the answer to a question. But he often felt he did not understand why that answer was the right answer or that he had another opinion. His learning beliefs included that discussing answers with peers leads to better understanding. 
So his learning strategies included challenging his peers to explain the content to him to advance his understanding. This was possible given the highly interactive nature of the study group meetings. This quote shows how antecedents jointly influence a student's willingness to engage with his peers during a meeting. It is the result of the combination of stimulating and limiting factors. Additionally, antecedents seem to have a dynamic influence. Students reported how their engagement varied from meeting to meeting, depending on their perception of the antecedents beforehand. Study group meetings vary in how engaging they are. It has to do with the content. For example, last period we learned about medical research and everybody knows very little thereof. Everybody thinks it's not so interesting. And then the levels of engagement drop. The meetings become less instructive and content with which everybody likes. Then you learn a lot. Yeah, you participate more. This quote illustrates that students anticipate or reflect on upcoming meetings and that antecedents do not have a fixed or static influence on student engagement. Third research question, tutor difficulty, distinguishing engagement from disengagement. Students found it difficult to stay engaged for longer periods of time, especially when they did not think the topic was interesting. The questions were perceived as too difficult or when the meeting was at the end of a day. They indicated a role for the tutor to stimulate, maintain and regulate their engagement. As one student put it, Our study group meeting is from 3.45 to 5.45 p.m. Well, I had to work in the morning that day, so I got up at 6.30 in the morning. Then I'm not at home the entire day, and then I need to walk in the classroom at 3.45 p.m. Yeah, you're just tired then. I think I also had a drink in the day before, so I was not feeling very well. So, yeah. It all piles up and you just get get tired. But I could get myself to do something, you know, that's not a problem. But you get the feeling that after a while, everybody feels like, guys, we could also skip this last assignment. You get that feeling after a while. And then the tutor is very handy to sort of redirect us. Students reported that interventions from all three dimensions of engagement would help. Tutors could stimulate them through their behavior, for example, by reminding them of the rules or reading a case out loud, their cognitions, for example, ask them a question, or their emotions, for example, have them reflect on their personal stance toward a patient. However, the students reported that in their eyes, tutors sometimes had difficulty distinguishing engagement from disengagement. Student behavior, looking outwardly the same for tutors, could have very different intentions. One student gave an example of this difficulty when his behavior of grabbing and using his smartphone was misinterpreted by the tutor. The student says, I'm only on my phone when I'm looking up something, but I've heard from the tutor that I grab my phone too often. But sometimes they, my peers, say something during the meeting and I just want to look at it, look it up. Because they look like they are searching on their laptop, but they are just sending messages through WhatsApp while I am looking up what we're talking about. The interviewer asks, so what you are saying is that the tutor cannot distinguish between reasons why you grab your phone? Student says, yes, exactly. Therefore, although behavior is observable, it can be difficult for tutors to accurately assess the intention behind the behavior. That makes it so difficult to assess if the behavior fits engagement or disengagement and if an intervention is required. For the student above, the intervention of the tutor to give feedback on their phone use actually led to emotional disengagement within the student. Negative emotions being misunderstood, Cognitive disengagement, reducing his intentions and effort for learning from the meetings, and behavioral disengagement, not looking up information anymore. The same difficulty of accurately assessing intention was observed for cognitive engagement. The interviewer. 
At a certain point, I he heard the tutor asking if you wanted a break. Students, yes, sometimes we have a small break in between, especially after a very long assignment. Then everybody agrees to take a break. But usually everybody is like, let us get this done as quick as possible. So we do not really take breaks. Interviewer, so at a certain moment, some sort of exhaustion arises and you need a break. Even if you want to give your best and engage, you cannot do so for two hours non-stop. Student, true. But the thing is, a group meeting officially lasts two hours, but we, but we do not actually need two hours. And we have a couple of people in our group who are like, Okay, let us rush through this. And the idea is that if we are done early, we can leave early. This quote shows that students keep working on the assignments, not for the sake of learning, but for the sake of ending class early. Although it might appear students are cognitively engaged, they actually are disengaged. Students' intentions here are again important. Verbal participation and silence were both reported as a sign of engagement and disengagement. Also here, intention was important. Verbal participation was reported as a means to contribute to the collaborative learning process, but also as a means to finish the class quickly. Silence was reported as a means to improve understanding of difficult topics, for example, by listening to peers, but also as a sign of not paying attention. However, students described how the tutors seem to view verbal participation as good and silence as bad. Silent students were urged to speak up more by their tutor. Talkative students reported that they received feedback that they participate well. This indicated to students that silence was perceived as a sign of disengagement, And students reflecting on their silence indicated that their silence often meant they were thinking about questions and curious to hear other people's perspectives. They also did not want to repeat what another had said or speak up when they were not sure enough about something. We now come to the discussion of this paper. This study uncovered three main themes that illuminate the dynamic process of student engagement and explain the difficulty in recognizing and influencing this process in practice. First, the spiral pattern of student engagement and disengagement shows how the three dimensions of engagement, of engagement interrelate in classroom settings. We found that when students engage or disengage on one dimension, other dimensions are likely to follow suit. The engaged become more engaged and the disengaged become more disengaged. Second, students' willingness to engage in class is dependent upon their perception of engagement antecedents before class. It is the combination of these antecedents that jointly influences the likelihood of a student being engaged during a meeting. Third, distinguishing engagement from disengagement can be difficult, as behavior can outwardly look the same for tutors, but have diff very different intentions. The intentions determine if a student is engaged or disengaged. Recognizing student engagement in a classroom. Teachers look for indicators of engagement in the behavior of students. The amount of verbal participation and use of electronic devices are common examples. This study illustrates how behaviors are pre preceded by intentions and the intentions determine if behaviors fit engagement or disengagement. Students who are silent because they want to learn from their peers are engaged. Students who verbally participate 
because they want to end class early, are disengaged. Students who type on their smartphone to look up information are engaged. Students who type on their laptop to text a friend are disengaged. Thus, in order to recognize student engagement, teachers need to look beyond the behavioral dimension of engagement. The, be the combination of behavior, cognition and emotion is what defines engagement. The difficulty for teachers is that they can observe the behavioral dimension of engagement, but not the cognitive and emotional dimensions, as these are internal to students. Furthermore, this study illustrated how student engagement is a dynamic process. Students can engage or disengage on any or all of the three dimensions. And this study showed they do so multiple times during a two-hour meeting. Moreover, student engagement, level, student engagement levels vary from meeting to meeting. This complicates recognizing engagement. A recent review on disengagement acknowledges how difficult it is to accurately identify student disengagement. In the review, it is suggested to define standardized measurable indicators of disengagement and transform those in a so-called checklist of engagement. We, however, would argue against such a course of action, as checklists for reflection can create reflective zombies. We would fear for engagement zombies, that is, students who are conditioned to behave in a certain way rather than truly engaging with the course content, teachers and fellow students. Therefore, we recommend teachers to look at the contributions that students make to the learning objectives of a meeting and group dynamics. Engaged students contribute to achieving the learning objectives and positive group dynamics. Disengaged students do not. Stimulating engagement. Based on our results, we reiterate the finding that teachers play an important role in stimulating student engagement. However, as described above, influencing in-class engagement can be difficult for teachers because it's difficult to recognize in practice. Additionally, as found in this study, an incorrect judgment of a student's engagement can actually increase disengagement. This study adds three suggestions to the literature for teachers to have a positive influence on their students' engagement. One, initiate spirals of engagement. Two, address the modifiable antecedents. And three, focus on the intentions behind student behavior. Adhering to these suggestions may help to optimize student engagement in active learning settings. To initiate a spiral of engagement, tutors can make use of the multidimensional view of student engagement and the finding that students respond well to interventions from each dimension. Teachers can thus use students' by behavior, cognitions and emotions. Examples from this study are asking students to read a patient case out loud, asking open-ended questions about the content, and having students reflect on their feelings. To stimulate willingness, tutors can reinforce engagement supportive antecedents and discuss or challenge engagement limiting antecedents. Examples from this study are to explore students' thoughts and feelings about the content of a course, students' prior knowledge, and the learning process. Teachers could increase willingness 
by discussing the relevance of the content, how to gain adequate prior knowledge to be able to participate, and how the learning process will help them achieve the course objectives. A limitation here is that teachers cannot address all antecedents, as some might be unknown to teachers, or be defined by course designers or educational policy. Therefore, we suggest teachers to focus on the antecedents that are modifiable. Our suggestion to focus on the intention behind behaviors warrants a little elaboration. Intention is all, not always directly observable for teachers. It has to be inferred from observations and cues related to the learning and group process. Oftentimes, observable behavior like silence and use of electronic devices is used to form negative judgments of students. However, as we confirmed in this study, the same behavior can fit both engagement and disengagement. The student intention is what matters. Teachers can therefore make better use of their observations by prompting students to engage and learn their intentions at the same time. Such a prompt for teachers could be, I see you listening attentively to the discussion. What are your thoughts? Or, I see you typing on your laptop. What did you find worthwhile from this discussion to take note of? Such an approach would fit well with previously identified student preferences for small group learning environments in which a teacher creates a positive, non-threatening group atmosphere and at the same time gains information about students' engagement. Making use of open and inviting prompts could also help to avoid situations in which teachers would make incorrect assumptions about students' engagement or disengagement. The strengths and limitations of this study. Video stimulated recall depends on the recall of events. Therefore, we interviewed students as quickly as possible after the recorded study group meeting. However, due to logistic reasons, some interviews were held several days after the group meeting. Although the video did improve recall, some students reported to have difficulty recalling their thoughts. Additionally, we acknowledge that the interviews themselves were a conversational setting that might have led students to express themselves in a certain way and in another setting might have answered differently. However, in line with our social constructivist stance, the interviews allowed us to co-construct knowledge with the participants by gaining insights in the thinking behind behavior, thoughts and feelings. In line with our finding that distinguishing engagement from disengagement can be difficult, we had the same experience during the data collection. When we showed the selected moments to students during the interviews, we did not provide a reason for selecting that moment. For example, when we selected a moment on video, we thought showed that we thought showed disengagement, a student looking out of the window, uh, that a student would elaborate on how he was engaged, thinking hard about the specific bias in research. The reverse also happened, a student being disengaged while the researcher assessed the student to be engaged from the video recording. This strengthens our finding that it indeed can be difficult for teachers to distinguish engagement from disengagement. Future research. Tutors might want to learn how to best initiate a spiral of engagement. Within engagement, it is possible to identify qualitative differences. 
Emotional engagement, for example, can range from simple, simply liking to deeply valuing, valuing a topic. Cognitive engagement, likewise, can range from simply remembering to creating new knowledge. It is likely that higher qualities within each dimension have a better chance of initiating a spiral. Secondly, students have suggested that teachers play an important role in stimulating, maintaining and regulating engagement. However, students also reported responding well to prompts from peers. If peer prompts have a greater chance of initiating positive spiral, this could influence how teachers design their small group learning activities. A study in which students are asked about their responsibilities regarding their engagement might include questions about the design of learning activities. The conclusion of our paper. This study illuminates the dynamic process of student engagement and explains the difficulty of recognizing and influencing this process in practice. Teachers can use these insights and suggestions gained from this study to optimize the engagement in their classrooms. With higher engagement, small group active learning will be a more pleasurable and instructive form of education for both teachers and students. We thank you for listening.